we're going to continue in the series that we've been doing, the lead up to Christmas, the way of the worshipper, and kind of dropping in and having a good look at the wise men or the magi who came from the east. And we've talked about, first of all, that endurance or perseverance is an expression of worship and a whole message on that if you missed it you can go to YouTube look up life you see and you can watch it or watch it again if you want and then last week it was about guidance that actually following God's guidance listening for his voice his direction that the wise men followed the star but they also followed the warning from the angel not to go back to Herod and so that whole issue of being guided And today we're going to talk about acceptable, generous worship. Matthew 2, verse 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star and when it rose, and we have come to worship him. I mean, the whole journey, their expectation was to come and worship the newborn king. They probably came from the East Babylon, about a journey of 1,150 kilometers, four months journeying on camels, donkeys, whatever else they might have come. Possibly part of the diaspora of the Jews who'd been scattered under the Babylonian um, conquests. And they knew something about the promise of the coming Messiah. And they'd come this incredibly long journey. And in chapter 10 of Matthew chapter 2, they meet Jesus. After going to the palace, hoping to find him there, they get directed to come not to the palace, but to a stable. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came to Jesus with great generosity, an abundance of gifts, costly gifts. And in the East, nobody would come into the presence of a king without bringing a gift as an act of acknowledgement. And that's kind of the premise of what we're talking about. Our generosity, whether it's in finance or our generosity in worshipping, in worshipping enthusiastically, open-heartedly, Our generosity in serving, they are all acts of worship. And it's in the opening of our treasures, it's in the opening of our hearts that we get to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, not just in words, but also in deed. And the generous gifts were an overflow of the attitude of worship. I love this phrase in uh, um, Matthew 2 verse 11. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. The, The generosity was tied to an act of worship of acknowledging here was and is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's interesting when you read that part of Matthew's gospel 
there's three kind of responses to the birth of Jesus. Herod displays open hatred and hostility. He's paranoid about his kingship. And when he asks the Magi to come back and tell him where the child is, it's so that he can murder him. And then obviously Mary and Joseph and Jesus flee to Egypt for a period of time to escape his murderous rage. The chief priests and scribes who should have known better, they were the religious class, kind of acted with indifference towards Jesus while all the time trying to retain their religious respectability. But here are these wise men traveling on a long, long journey, a difficult journey across some deserts to come and worship. And they do it at significant cost of their time, of their energy, of the gifts that they bring, but it all flows from an act of worship They bowed down to worship him and then they opened their treasures. The Bible calls us to acceptable, generous worship. And the question is, what are we bringing to Jesus, our Saviour and King? And if you haven't yet discovered Jesus as your Saviour and King, we'd like you to really pray about that and think about it and hear the simplicity of the gospel, which I'll explain towards the end of this message and give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. The most important thing we bring in worship is not our songs, is not our finance, is not our service, it's bringing ourselves. Worship is, can be expressed with generous Generosity in finances, generosity in time to serve, generosity in singing and, and worshipping in that vocal way. But the first part of worship, which is also outworked by the wise men, they brought themselves. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So worship begins not with these other activities, as important as they are and endorsed and encouraged through Scripture. Worship begins with the presenting of yourself to God. And it's a bit of an interesting phrase, a living sacrifice. God's not trying to execute you except in the sense of dying to yourself so that you can live wholly for him. You present yourself a living sacrifice. And he says, this is your true and proper worship. This is the beginning of worship. This is the essence of worship, is the bringing of yourself and saying, God, here I am, use me. Here I am, I'm here for you, first and foremost. And so a few thoughts that flow from that. Number one, we worship with sacrifice. The Bible's most important, therefore. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Whenever you get uh, anywhere in the Bible, therefore, you've got to look and see what, what it's there for. Because it's connecting you to something. And it's just a simple little insight. If you come across the word, therefore, check out what it's there for, what it's connecting you to. So Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. This is not, I demand worship for you. It's not, I will terrorize you until you worship me. That's what pagan kings did in ancient times and probably to some extent some of the rulers in our world do a similar thing. But he says, no, no, you present yourself in the full light and revelation of God's mercy and grace towards you. And I don't have time, and you'll be thankful for this, we don't have time to go through the preceding chapters of the book of Romans to discover what those mercies are. And so I'll try and summarize them just in a few sentences. And the question that we've got to ask is, how will I live and respond to God in the light of the fact that I've been made right with God by faith? I didn't have to work it. I didn't have to earn for it. It is given to me as a gift. The minute I put my trust in Jesus, that he did it all, I'm made right with God. The fact that he has saved us from sin's penalty, which is eternal death through Jesus Christ. That he's actually freed us from the chokehold that sin brings to our lives. We can live in freedom. doesn't mean we never mess up, we never sin, but there's forgiveness, there's grace, and the power to be set free through the work of Jesus Christ. He's brought us into his family. We're not slaves. And Romans chapter 8 emphasized this. We are sons and daughters. We have the spirit of adoption within us. That's part of God's mercy. He's placed us under grace, not law. We're no longer earning God's favor. It's given to us because we received his favorite Jesus. He promises protection that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He promises us his spirit to work within us, to lead and guide us. These are some of the mercies that Paul is speaking of when he says, because of those mercies, in view of those mercies, give yourself to God because he's given everything to you. J.B. Phillips, who was a great Greek scholar and just wrote a, a more, for the time, a more modern translation. We now have so many, we're so blessed with it. Translates Romans 12 and verse 1 like this, and I love this. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies, as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Isn't that a great statement? With eyes wide open, open to the mercies of God, to the grace of God, to the kindness of God. He says, I'm asking you as an intelligent act of worship, kind of just work it out. All this God has given you, the most reasonable, intelligent thing you can do is give yourself back to God. And so worship is a sacrifice of presenting yourself to God. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And we often get nervous about that. Well, what will he do with me? What will he ask me to do? And we kind of get worried. Well, if I surrender, what's going to happen? Well, if he loves you this much, whatever he asks you to do is founded in his love for you 
and for what's best for you. doesn't always mean it's easy or it's without challenge. But the most powerful thing you can do is walk in the loving will of God for you. The second thing that we notice from the wise men, remember they presented themselves first, the living sacrifice as it were, is they worshipped with great joy. Even before we come to the treasure, we, they worshipped with great joy. And we need to kind of enter into that kind of joy. And sometimes that's difficult, especially when you're going through trials and difficulties and you're exhausted and you're in pain or whatever, this turmoil in your life. But remember, they'd come on this very arduous, long journey, but they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they fell down and worshipped him. There's quite a lot of emphasis that Matthew's put in here. They, worshiped, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they fell down and worshipped him. And it's interesting that the closer the wise men got to Jesus, the more they increased their joy. And I think therein is a lesson for us. It's in drawing closer to Jesus that we discover the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says in the book of Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want you to notice, it's not our joy that's our strength. It's when we enter into his joy, the joy of knowing him, the joy of seeing his hand in our lives, the joy of salvation, the joy of peace, the joy of him moving in our lives. It's his joy that gives us joy. It's the joy of the Lord that strengthens us. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more we can experience it. And joy is meant to be found in the person of Jesus, not in our circumstances. Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah, looking down through time at this coming Messiah, says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. And in no way was Isaiah, and neither am I, seeking to make light of anybody's pain or sorrow or suffering or loss. It's very real to us. We're going through it. Comparing ourselves to others, I don't think helps, because your pain, your grief is yours. You're walking through it. But one of the most incredible things that we realise with Jesus is that he can fully identify with it. Isaiah prophesied it. And when Jesus walked on the planet for the 33 years that he did, there's moment after moment where he enters into the pain, the suffering of humanity. And ultimately, through the cross, incredible suffering, rejection and being despised. He understands sorrow. He understands pain. And because of that, he empathizes with us as a great high priest. There are times when we are discouraged and struggle with guilt and grief and possibly find no joy in our circumstances. But Paul's got a little bit of advice for us from the book of Philippians. And it's worth me just commenting on where Paul is and what's happening before I read the advice he gives us. 
And some of you probably already jumped ahead in your heads in that. But he's been arrested. He's been falsely accused, falsely beaten. And then he says, well, I'm a Roman citizen. And that kind of terrifies the people that beat him up because he had the right to a trial. If you weren't a Roman citizen, you had no right to trial. So they've overstepped. And so he goes to Caesar to appeal his case for preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel, the good news. And he's imprisoned. And he is under the threat of being executed. It's a daily thing that hangs over his head until finally one day that becomes a reality. He's taken out and executed for his faith. So Paul's not living in the lap of luxury. Paul's not living in this comfortable place. He's living in this dangerous place. But while he's in prison, he writes a number of epistles. And one of them is the book of Philippians. And in the middle of all this threat and pressure, his response is, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And I want you to notice he doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He doesn't say, well, look for happiness in the good things. And and there were some good things. He had friends visiting him. There were other things that were going on. But he says, no, you've got to find your joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. So we worship with choosing this joy, this joy of the Lord. The third thing is we, we do worship with generosity. But I want you to notice that the wise men first gave themselves. They came with joy, then they opened their treasures. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. God's grace is such that whatever we get to offer him, he's actually first given us anyway. Just want you to think about that. He promises to provide for us, to care for us, and that's outworked in so many ways. Even the very gift of life allows us to then give ourselves to him. Every single thing, because of the grace of God that we get to offer back to him, is something he's first given to us provided for us, created opportunity for us. And Paul, in appealing for a special offering to, for the relief of poverty, where there'd been a severe famine, says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now the riches that are described here are more than financial provision, but certainly I think it includes financial provision. He's talking about a richness of life and experience. And he says, Jesus, who had all the riches and the glory of heaven, stepped into time and space, stepped into our world and laid down everything eventually being executed as a criminal he gave up everything so that he might enrich 
your life and mine, our lives. And Paul says, based on that, find ways where you can be generous and sacrificial in your worship by serving others and through financial generosity. And nobody can give the same. We all have different things, but it's that heart, that attitude, God, I want to participate. Can I suggest there's more than three expressions, but they can be probably summarized as three expressions of worship. We get to worship with our words. Hebrews 13, 15 says, therefore Jesus, sorry, through Jesus, therefore, I had the therefore in the wrong place. Often I've been telling you to look for things, what they're there for when there's a word therefore. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that openly professes his name. There are times we don't feel like worshipping. None of you here this morning. You're just all ready to go. Can't wait for me to get off and the musos to get back and ready to worship. The truth is sometimes we go, oh, I'm tired. If you only knew the week I had, if you only knew the issues I've got with the person sitting next to me, husband and wives, keep your elbows to yourselves. <laughs> If you only knew this or that, or if you only knew the pressure that I'm facing at work or in my finances or in a relationship situation. Yeah, that's why worship is a sacrifice. It's the fruit of your lips. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, even when we don't feel like it. And there's this amazing thing when we actually start entering into it. God, I'm happy to sacrifice. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like giving you praise. But as I do, something shifts inside of us. We worship with service. And in the New Testament, those words, worship and service, are used interchangeably. And so every time we serve somebody, it's actually... If we do it as unto the Lord, it's an act of worship. When every time we help somebody and we help out in a situation and we use the gifts that God has given us. Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as a faith, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And again, serving is simply using what God's given us and giving it back to somebody else but in a way to bless the Lord's heart as well. To use the gifts that have entrusted us to be a blessing to others. And then, of course, we worship with material things or with finance. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, on the first day of every week, that's when the church gathered. We still gather on a Sunday, other times as well. But on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. It's an expression of worship. He says, when you gather for your combined worship, make sure you bring your finances as part of your worship. Now, obviously, speaking to people in an economy where each week they garnered enough, we live in a different society where 
people get paid monthly, fortnightly, weekly. So whatever the, the, the measure is in your life, encourage you, obey this instruction when we gather. And many of us do it electronically and that's why we give you all the options. But it's actually an act of worship. It's not just about the money. It's about the heart of worship with which you bring your offering. I want to conclude with this. Heard this many years ago. The wise men came and worshipped and wise people still worship. Even in 2023. The wise men worshipped, bringing prophetic gifts. They bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, silver, sorry, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Each of those is significant and I'm not going to take too much time on this, but gold is a gift fit for a king. And Matthew introduces Jesus as the king promised from the lineage of David who will rule not by force, but by love. To express his will, not with a crown, but with a cross. I just want you to think about that. Matthew presents him as this descendant of David, the promised Messiah. But he rules not by force, but by love. He doesn't get his will done by a crown, but with a cross. And the scripture declares in the book of Revelation and other places that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. But notice the context. It's to him who loves us. He's the ruler, but he's the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So gold was a declaration. Here is the king. Frankincense was something that was used by priests in temple worship. It was to perfume the sacrifices. And Jesus as king of kings rules on behalf of God, but he comes and presents us as a great high priest he presents us and our needs to God the writer of Hebrews says we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach God's grace throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I just love the interaction of those words and and I just want to highlight something. He has this great high priest, this king of kings and lord of lords. He's a king and he's a priest. And when we feel our frailty, our weakness, We shouldn't run from God, we should run to Jesus because there before that throne of grace, we find grace and help because he understands our humanity. And myrrh was used for burial. You can read in John's Gospel, chapter 19, that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea is the person who's also spoken of there, brought myrrh and aloes to embalm the body of Jesus. And so right there, 
These wise men are prophesying the suffering and the sacrifice, the, the burial, but gloriously knowing that there's resurrection coming. And as our great high priest, he presents himself as the perfect sacrifice. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. I just love that. He sacrificed himself once for all. And the context is all the Old Testament sacrifices had to be repeated over and over again because they didn't remove sin. They didn't bring full salvation. They simply stayed the judgment of God. But here's Jesus who offers himself as high priest and as perfect sacrifice. And he does it once for all and for all sins. What a powerful thing to live in that reality. I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed. Jesus has died for every one of my sins, past, present and future. He's died for your sins, past, present and future. So what do we give this king? I don't think any of us have got a pocket full of gold, frankincense or myrrh with us today. But we can give our time, our talents, our tithes. But best of all and most important of all, we give him ourselves. They came to worship him. Then they opened the treasure. They came to worship him. And I want to encourage you, whether for the first time, or just this has been a bit of a reminder, I need to represent myself to God in worship as a living sacrifice intelligent, holy, acceptable worship. I need to present myself. But if it's for the first time or renewing a commitment, you could be here and you've been drawn into this place and somebody brought you and there's maybe some things that are a little bit strange, but the message is very simple. The gospel, the good news, Jesus died for your sins. You, you can't earn your way to heaven. By faith, you put your trust in everything he did. And when you do, God makes you right cleanses you, restores his plan and purpose.